0: Welcome to another PI World Podcast. This is an audio only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk where you can find many more videos of interest to investors.
1: Hello everyone. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to come to this webinar. And we'll take some questions afterwards. Getting started looking at the H1 2022 highlights, We had strong results in the first half of the year with a 6% increase, and it's a record first quarter of the year. We've had exceptional operational performance overcoming our supply chain challenges. Our teams have done an outstanding job of being able to overcome these problems so that we could meet all of our customer demands, which we have. We also have healthy U.S. non-residential construction, international market momentum, and new products meaningfully Contributed to our results also. We continue to invest in future growth. We've had an expansion that's near completing, and we've added resources to our target markets, foreign markets, that is. Revenue has been converted efficiently, so we had strong cash generation. We've declared a dividend for the first half of the year of 10 cents. And despite supply chain risks, which have elevated to a certain degree, we expect our results for the first half, for year 2022 to come in, in line with expectations. And with that, I'll turn it over to John Youngster to give you some of the details.
2: <clears throat>
1: uh, thank you, Jack. So
2: starting on slide three, the financial highlights, we had, as Jack mentioned, strong top-line growth, 6% revenue growth compared to the prior year period. And that was driven by very good performance in the North American market as well as good contributions from our international markets and new products. That revenue translated very efficiently to profits. We had modest declines in profitability compared to the prior year period, which is actually very good performance considering how extraordinarily lean our operations were in the first half of 2021, as we organizationally quickly ramped up with our resources to meet the significant increase in demand. The profitability, in turn, translated well to strong cash flow from operations, which compared comparably to the prior year, with the one exception of a modest increase in working capital investment inventory levels based on the new product lines that we continue to bring to market, all leads to a very strong, secure financial position, just over $27 million to end the first half. As Jack mentioned, an increased declared interim dividend to $0.10 to slightly rebalance our payments between interim and final dividends. Stepping through sales by territory on slide four, speaking to the North American market, the underlying conditions in the North American market remain very, very healthy. The non-residential construction in North America is very active and structurally no different than what we've reported in prior periods. Our customers continue to report extensive amounts of work in front of them, reflected in extended project backlogs that span well into 2023. And with that, we had good performance across a range of our products in North America, which is also encouraging because it shows diversification in the type of project work that our customers are undertaking in North America. In Europe, we also have continued strong interest in our equipment. There is a healthy non-residential construction activity in our European markets. We're very focused on components, areas within the European region that we see the best near to medium term opportunity for success. And we're very encouraged by interest in our new products, which is a key part to our growth strategy in Europe. We did experience a one-time delay in fulfilling a number of customer orders prior to June 30 that's associated with some delays in securing freight from the U.S. to Europe. Those will get resolved in early second half. And if they were delivered as they customarily would have been, our revenues would have been comparable period over period. In Australia, continued very good performance. The move to a direct channel to our customers, direct sales, direct support continues to provide great benefit to us. Similar to Europe, we see very good opportunity from new products. Part of the growth in Australia has been driven by expanding the products that we are offering in Australia. And an example that applies to both Europe and Australia is bringing the skyscreen to the UK and to Australia in 2022, as we are now lining up job site demos in both regions in the second half of this year. And then with respect to Latin America, it's traditionally been a very small base of revenues, a relatively modest portion of our overall revenues. But we did have good performance in the first half with some good activity in Mexico, which was the primary contributor. And we continue to expect to see Good opportunities from latin america in the go forward periods and then lastly rest of world is a combination of markets the main ones being india middle east and china the decline compared to the prior year was as expected driven by china as we took steps to reorganize in china to reduce our cost structure in light of the very slow pace to accept quality in china from domestic developers which in turn has been the key impediment to us gaining near to medium term success in China. So jumping to slide five on sales by product, as I mentioned, really good balance take rates across our portfolio of products. We had growth in virtually every category. That's how we gauge the level of diversification in the market in terms of project activity. We feel very good, you know, particularly performance in our boomed and ride-on screens that both show growth compared to the prior year period. Part of the benefit as well in the first half of 2022 comes from pricing, which is our passing on increased input costs to our customers which we had good success with and you'll see in the sales by product the skyscreen reflects the improvement in revenue from the skyscreen product line reflects the resumption of job site demos now that the covid restrictions have been removed and we see good activity in terms of job sites demos and we expect that will continue in the periods to come and lastly with regard to other revenues that is a combination of items in there but most importantly it's the parts and accessories and service components, which we've had very strong performance in that as we've grown our install base and then also reflective of a high level of activity in the market. So with that, Enzo, will walk through the operating results. Thanks, John. So starting on slide six,
3: overall we had very good results for the period. We continue to maintain high profitability. We are able to mitigate some of the higher input costs by increasing pricing through customers, As a result, maintaining a gross profit margin in excess of 58%, which is comparable to the prior year and slightly above our expectation. Moving down to operating expenses, as we anticipated and John alluded to earlier, we operated quite leanly in the first half of 2021. We made significant hires moving forward to support the demand, which came on pretty quickly. And so the increase year-over-year really is reflective of The annualization impact of those hires, as well as additional hires that we made in the first half of 2022, coupled with some modest increasing in travel as the COVID restrictions lapsed and additional IT investment. Overall, netting out to a total net income of in excess of $17 And again, from a margin standpoint, very profitable year over year. Moving on to our financial position, we continue to generate significant cash. We ended the period with 27 million, despite paying out over 23 million in dividends in the first half of the year. Our receivables are retained at a modest level, a slightly below the previous year. Most of our customers pay in advance, and we have very good collections. The one offset here is with respect to inventory, as John mentioned. As we introduce new products, there's a natural uplift in our inventory levels. In addition, as an effort to mitigate some of the supply chain challenges, we've maintained higher levels of safety stock so that we are able to deliver to our customers. The remainder of our balance sheet is relatively consistent with no debt and really only reflective of some trade liabilities. Moving on to our cash flow, cash or net income converted nicely into cash. Again, the significant change period over period is the additional investment in working capital particularly inventory. In terms of investing activities, the 2.2 million is reflective of our continued expansion of the Houghton facility. There's an additional 3 million or so to spend there. We anticipate that project will be completed by the end of the year, which will give us additional capacity as well as improved workflow and better engineering capability. I alluded to the dividend payment in the first half of 2022. This has been very consistent for us in paying out dividends. And if you look at historical, we've paid out a cumulative $120 of dividends. And that is sort of our mode of returning capital to investors. Aside from that, we do have a modest share buyback program. That's really intended to mitigate some of the dilution as a result of our internal equity program. So overall, very good result in terms of cash, really well poised to make future
2: investments. And with that, I'll hand it back to John. Okay. Thank you, Enzo. So jumping to slide nine, the 2022 outlook. Our outlook really starts with the U.S. non-residential construction market. And as mentioned previously, structurally, the market has remained unchanged from previous periods. It's a very healthy market. There's a lot of activity across a range of projects. And we base our assessment of the market on the direct feedback we get from our customers through our direct sales and customer support teams and our customers continue to report extensive project backlogs that span well into 2023 which gives us confidence in the health of the underlying markets we continue to see good momentum as well in europe and australia as we've shifted our focus to target specifically the european and australian market due to the fact that we see the best near to medium-term opportunity coming from those markets particularly in new equipment and Underlying all of that is healthy, strong, non-residential construction activity. And then in addition to the international growth opportunities from new products, as well as existing products, we see good opportunity in general from new products as we've entered into new market segments. As an example, the skyscreed and to the structural high-rise market. And we see that as a long-term growth contributor, as well as, as an example, bringing the skyscreed to the UK and to Australia, highlighting that those new growth opportunities from products are not just domestic, they are international. And then in support of executing that growth strategy, we'll continue to make investments as we have in the first half of 2022 to execute our plans. And that's coming from added global sales, customer service, and support staff, as well as product development resources. And we will continue to do that, which will provide some level of uplift in our annual increase in operating costs. And then as you kind of pull all that together, the strong first half results, the underlying healthy markets, as well as a backlog of customer orders that we're carrying into the second half, which is above what we historically would have. We've confirmed the outlook for 2022 full year to fall in line with those expectations. And at the same time, we do recognize that there are supply challenges that are becoming more noticeable in the marketplace, particularly The inconsistent supply of concrete to the job site for our customers, which if persists, we do believe will have an impact on our 2023 trading. And the impact of that supply challenge for our customers is to start to slow the pace of work on their existing sizable backlog of projects. Jumping over to a brief strategy update, starting on slide 11, as mentioned before, really the two pillars of growth for us long-term are new products and deepening our international presence. Both are tied very tightly together. We had good success on the impact of new products in the first half of 2022. They contributed just over $3 million to revenues, products that are entirely new open up new market segments or new applications. That's about a $2 million increase over the prior year period. We've added to our patent portfolio. Now we're over hundred patents and patent applications that we possess in our IP portfolio. And we will continue to seek out those solutions that provide productivity gains for our customers, eliminate the need for labor and enhance the quality of the end deliverable projects to the end users. And as well, on the international expansion side, we also made some very good progress, obviously, with the growth in the impact in Australia, but also the strong interest in our equipment in Europe, particularly in new products. And we invested to add to our direct sales and support teams in both countries. We added three personnel to each region, and that's all part of our long-term growth plans. So jumping to slide 12, first a quick walkthrough of our new products that we brought to market this year. The S28BZ is our flagship large laser screen machine, it replaces our previous S22. We've had very good take rate, good interest in this product. It adds meaningful amount of productivity to our customers, which is highly valued, as well as a number of other value added features. So that's been good performance from that product and we're very pleased with the innovation that we brought to market with that machine. As an example of continuing to expand our addressable market, we launched the SPS 50, which opens up tilt panel cast in place applications replacing a very manual labor intensive process. It's a disruptive technology as all our new inventions are, but we're very keen on the interest in that piece of equipment. And we're very keen on getting penetration in that tilt panel market segment. And then lastly, which is an important point, we're showing how product innovation and the international growth are tightly aligned. We are launching the EcoScreed, which is a small entry level ride on screen to the European market. That's very versatile, easy to transport, well-suited and well-aligned for small projects. That is an example of us taking a look at a slight pivot for us in the product development process to ensure that we're bringing products to market that resonate very cleanly with the international markets, as opposed to our historical approach, which is to focus much more on the U.S. market. So part of our growth strategy internationally is to make sure we have the right products in place, as well as the team to execute the sales and support functions. Just very briefly on that, if you look at the overview of our products and applications on the next slide, that's just an overview of how we've continued to expand our addressable market, opening up the cast-in-place market, a much more meaningful presence in the slab-on-deck market, as well as the high-rise structural market. All of that is part of our product development strategy to continue to create new solutions for our customers. Lastly, on slide 14, just to reiterate our growth strategy internationally, it's very much about the introduction of new products and having the resources in place to sell and to support those products to existing and to new customers. And with that, that concludes our prepared remarks. So we'd be happy to take questions.
0: Could you please explain why the Line Dragon sales declined so significantly from 62 to 29 units?
2: You know, as with all our products, uh, there are there is a natural ebb and flow in terms of take rates. It's one of the benefits of having a very broad product portfolio so we can capture opportunity regardless of the type of work that's taking place in the market. Um, what you see in the the line dragon performance is a uh, a variation in the types of projects in the market that would require uh, a line dragon. So from time to time, there'll be more of those types of projects. Other times will be somewhat less. And it's it's not really indicative of any major trend. It's it's kind of part of the normal ebb and flow of take rates across our portfolio.
0: And would you consider manufacturing in Europe to balance costs and free up supply chain constraints?
2: The benefits of having the scale and the efficiency of a centralized assembly function in Houghton, Michigan really supersedes or or surpasses any benefits of having localized uh, kind of production particularly given overall volumes. Um, so part of, the, uh, part of the issue in terms of, that we experienced in the first half of 2022, in terms of getting inventory in place in Europe, um, we've taken a proactive step in the second half of this year to, uh, to ensure that we have uh, enough inventory in place to meet the second half demand. So we've taken a much more proactive approach to, to stocking appropriately the European region.
0: And with regards to longer term, how much evolution is yet to come that you don't foresee with products? So, what are the most pressing requirements that result in new products coming to market?
1: We constantly look at developing new products, and um, as you can see from our portfolio of twenty machines uh, in nineteen ninety-seven, when we started out, we had one machine. So, the growth of new products will continue, and the the products that we're going to produce in the future will be based on our customers' needs. Our customers give us the keys to understanding what problems they have and what they would like us to do to develop equipment that would relieve some of the problems they have on a job site, whether it's labor in terms of reducing the labor, uh, improving flatness, or any other requirements that they face on on the job site.
0: And Skyscreed seems to be taking off after job site demos and allocating a specific sales force to the product. What sort of revenue are you targeting for Skyscreed in the medium term?
2: So we've seen an increased amount of job site demos, which is really the critical element to the selling process. And we're continuing to to grow and to uh, ramp the curve of getting uh, market acceptance, Uh, of a very disruptive technology that changes the workflows on these job sites uh, significantly. Um, So we've learned a lot over the past two to three years. It's it's really made the selling process easier as we understand best practices and how to overcome some of the obstacles our customers face with coordination of trades uh, on the job. Um, However, we're not able to really predict how fast the ramping process goes in terms of market acceptance. You know we continue to to drive towards that critical mass when it becomes much, much more prevalent and required in the in the market. and we're sort of continuing to, along that measured growth path at this point in time, and we're trying to accelerate mass acceptance as fast as we can. but but we can't predict when that will occur.
0: And what's the company done to widen its moat or competitive advantage over the past year?
2: We've made a lot of investments in enhancing the training Uh, in delivering the the sort of education that's necessary for our customers to succeed. We've obviously expanded our classroom setting in in Fort Myers. We have tremendous amount of throughput of customers coming through for training on our equipment, as well as um, some more generalized training. We've increased our technology to deliver information, consultation, um, and training to the field through, we have a remote learning system that has a, a huge catalog of information that we've collected over the years and given sort of virtual ability to connect with our customer service techs. All of that is, is you know far and above anything that uh, anyone else in this particular market would be able to provide. And we're continuing to find ways to, to enhance that, to address really one of the most significant perpetual pain points, our customer space, which is a growing shortage of skilled labor uh, In their businesses.
0: And why do you lose business to a competitor?
1: We've had competitors since 1989. And um, we've always uh, acknowledged that there are competitors out there and there always will be competitors. And we constantly strive to uh, enhance the offerings to our customers. As John just mentioned, Um, we've got significant improvements in training. Basically, our competitors are machine builders, they build a machine and it, it's not hard to reverse engineer any mechanical piece of equipment. Yes, we do have patents, uh, but in a lot of cases, people are able to build a machine that gets around our patents. It maybe doesn't have the same performance, but it probably looks similar to it. And it doesn't have the same customer support and training that goes with it. And they they end up selling at a lesser price. And so that that's that's going to be there forever. You're, you're never going to get the competitors to go away. Our job is to constantly do better than them. And believe me, as John just said, we're spending a lot of money on building support systems for our customers to make them more successful.
0: And the company is still highly reliant on U.S. boom screed sales. What action will the company take when the cycle turns down for this product?
2: The, the boom screeds are a significant portion of our revenue. You know, we continue to see opportunity for that product category. There's a lot of different projects out there that require very large placements uh, of very large concrete slabs. The more generalized question, with regard to uh, when there's a, a turn in the market or a you know cycle, as we are tied to the non-residential construction market and are a cyclical business, the answer to that has not changed. We are able to uh, adjust our cost structure very quickly to the level of Uh, demand that's in the market. A prime example of that actually, uh, that flexing goes both ways. In 2021, we rapidly expanded our capabilities by flexing up and adding the appropriate staff and resources necessary to accommodate 50% increase in demand. So the same is true going both directions and and we're very much a uh, high variable cost business with primary expense being uh, people and we will always be able to manage our costs effectively to, to meet the level of demand.
0: And considering the Chinese experience and the increasing relative importance of the US in terms of total sales, have you ever considered a franchise approach backed by your comprehensive support offering for some territories given the global potential?
2: Really the, the best way for us to, to sell to our customers uh, remains the direct model. It's a complicated selling process. These are um, sophisticated pieces of equipment, requires a lot of interaction and education with customers. And, and generally that, that's very difficult to obtain through a, a third party or an indirect um, partner. You know, Certainly our approach is as we start to see some critical mass in a particular region of the world, that's when we start to make investments to, to build up an infrastructure in that particular territory uh, to really capture the opportunity that we see. So we have a, a flexible approach to it. We can make investments as we need to We can place people in different parts of the globe as we see the opportunity. And that's, that's our approach uh, to global growth.
0: And you mentioned that you expect the supply of concrete to your customers to become intermittent in 2023. Can you explain what influences the supply of concrete and why that might be the case and how you expect this will impact Someret?
2: Currently, what we're experiencing in the U.S. is an inconsistent supply of concrete to our customers' job sites. And it's really driven by two factors. There's an inconsistent supply of cement. That's a key ingredient in the concrete mix, um, as well as logistics shortages. So there's a shortage of drivers to transport raw materials to the concrete batch plants and then the concrete from the batch plant to the customer job site. And both factors are really constraining the, the consistent supply of concrete. The impact is rationing. Uh, it's something. It's a phenom- phenomenon that's um, historic. We've never seen this before. But it's, it's a rationing of concrete across the nation in the U.S. And so customers that may want five days of, of deliveries with a certain number of trucks may only be able to get three days and maybe not as many trucks on that particular day. So what's that, the, how that's manifesting itself in terms of impact on our customers, it's slowing the pace of their work on their backlog of projects, uh, which in turn you know, causes them to have less full utilization of uh, their equipment. They're not able to fully utilize their teams or equipment. So that's part of the, the factor that they will consider as they're, they're looking at their equipment purchase decisions. The good news on this is that the overall work level remains the same. And this work still needs to get done. And in many cases, it's just getting pushed out further. It's not causing a, a reduction in amount of work. So that that provides continued healthy performance in terms of construction activity based on these challenges.
0: And is it in any particular geographies?
2: No, I mean, it's basically um, consistent across the nation. You know, we've seen it from all of our customer reactions based on conferences that that we go to, that Jack and I go to, um, we hear the same, same feedback that it's it's a problem, it's a pain point, and customers are, are working hard to manage around
0: it. And it's that like US or is that all geographers?
2: It, it's a US phenomenon. There is some supply constraints in other regions, but it's most acute in the US.
0: And the company trades at a very undemanding earnings multiple and a material discount to the U.S. markets. Does the company have a bid defense strategy, and what actions can the company take to strengthen this?
2: So, in terms of the valuation of of, of the share price, it is something that we're not able to to really address or sort of um, uh, explain. You know, certainly, we we feel like our our valuation is is low. We we see tremendous value in the company long term you know in terms of bid defense strategy you know that's not something that we really discuss in any, at any great length at the board level uh, based on any offers that may be made for the business that's something we've never seen in the past and it's not a big topic of conversation
0: and is the EcoScreed electric are European competitors are pushing battery tech as the new normal
2: the EcoScreed is is not battery or not electric. And certainly we are keeping abreast of the market in terms of developments with electric equipment. So, you know, that's something we, we stay very current on. And, you know, when the time is appropriate, that's, and it's, there's a, a market demand for it, you know, that's certainly something we'll, we'll consider, but the EcoScreed is currently, we don't offer a current electric option.
0: And does the increase in demand for remanufactured machines indicate customers are downgrading rather than buying a new machine, they buy a remanufactured one?
2: No. The, generally, the, the sales of the remanufactured equipment is really a function of availability of inventory. It's always generally sold to customers that are looking for, oftentimes, new, newer customers are looking for a, a, an attractive entry point. They're interested in the boom screen, but they're not necessarily interested in the, all the, the features and benefits of a larger, newer piece of equipment. And also, sometimes these are used as backup machines for uh, customers to ensure they have a, a backup available uh, for s- certain of their jobs. And there will be ebbs and flows in the sales of that equipment, and it's really just driven by availability of inventory.
0: And does Somero have any strategic partnership initiatives with any of the major concrete suppliers?
2: No, no, we we don't partner with suppliers. You know, we, we try to remain uh, agnostic with all the different uh, sort of stakeholders within the concrete industry, um, you know, ecosystem. You know, we we don't try to favor one versus another.
0: And from your experience with the success of sales in Australia, what insights have you gleaned as to where and what market characteristics in Europe or elsewhere could be growth drivers in the future?
2: We see a lot of similar characteristics in terms of the Australian market and the the targeted areas of the European market that we're we're focused on, particularly because we believe there's an opportunity for a lot of the new products to gain some new customer relationships, but also to expand the fleets of our existing customers. And in order to you know target those uh, opportunities, you know we've added resources. You know we've added three resources in in Europe to customer service one that's a territory manager based in uh, Italy, as well as we are making sure that we have the right product offering. So uh, in recent years, uh, we launched the SRS4, which is a, a very uh, attractive entry-level boom screen, which we think is well-suited for the European market. And as mentioned, we're bringing the Screen to market, which is a very attractive entry-level Right on screen. That's also very small, easy to transport, which we think is an important feature for for Europe. And we'll continue to make sure we have the right products and the resources to really capture that opportunity through sales and support.
0: I believe European and Middle Eastern sales are handled by a small team in Chesterfield, UK. Are any or all of the salespeople multilingual, or do you focus on specific geographies spoken by them, or do they work with outside distributors?
2: So our sales across Europe and the Middle East are are handled by sales representatives in those General regions. So the Middle Eastern territory is covered by a European uh, sales resource for us that that is not based in the Middle East but is based in a, a country adjacent to the Middle east. the The vast majority of our international sales team have some multilingual capabilities uh, as well as our customer support team. In certain cases, we do utilize a a distributor in a particular country only for the purpose of importation and order fulfillment. The actual sales activity is taken place by one of our sales resources directly.
0: And how do the sales team prioritize their calls and the countries that they cover?
2: So, we have a very efficient inside sales function that basically helps our field sales team be very efficient. And the function of the inside sales team is to, to qualify the leads and prospects to effectively prioritize. The visits that need to take place, or the direct contacts that need to take place. So it's it, the two functions work very closely in partnership, and that enables us to prioritize the, the leads as far as targeting you know particular regions of the world. You know that's a decision where we've identified those particular markets that we think have the best near to medium term opportunity for success, and where our prop our value proposition <coughs> resonates strongest. And that's based on a strategic decision we've made. Uh, at the management team level.
0: Can you provide us with any estimates you have of the total addressable market for the skyscreed product relative to the ride-on segment?
1: Yes, in the skyscreed market, we know that it is a significant market. There are no statistics for it. But basically, when you're building high-rise buildings, there's only two types of uh, structure used. One is the steel structure, and the other is structural concrete. And the skyscreen sky works in a structural concrete market, so we know that it is significant because of the large number of high-rise buildings that are built um, just in what we're doing right now, the U.S., in Australia, and Europe. So, But we don't have a specific number that would go with that.
0: And once the war is over, significant reconstruction will be required in Ukraine. Are you in contact with concrete contractors that operate in Ukraine?
2: We have, we have customers throughout Ukraine and the Baltic states. And, you know, we have um, territory managers that really address those markets. So when and if there's an opportunity or when there is an opportunity, um, hopefully sooner rather than later, yeah, we'll have the ability to, to capture um, Uh, And realize the benefits of that.
0: How does the projected poor macroeconomic climate in the EU relate to increased sales penetration in Europe and how do you combat this?
2: So the the overall macro level, you know, economic factors are, are not sort of trends that we're able to really interpret in terms of how that directly impacts our business. You know, we focus much more on the ground level uh, and focusing on the non-residential construction market as sort of what we're focused on in terms of outlooks, in terms of just how it impacts our business. Uh, ultimately, you know, we we see great long-term opportunity from from getting new customer relationships, converting some of the smaller work uh, from a manual process to using our our automation. There is a phenomenon, and it's not just in the U.S. It's global that there's a shortage of skilled labor in the con- in the concrete con- uh, contractor industry. That's been a perpetual pain point. There was a labor shortage before there was a global labor shortage uh, in, in that space. So that's a tremendous tailwind for us in the years to come, because there's going to be a need for automation. Uh, and we we provide that solution.
0: And um, are Somero looking at using some of the cash to potentially acquire any smaller competitors?
1: Um, yes, we uh, constantly look to acquire Um, other companies. We always have and we will always continue to do that. And it's part of what we do every day. And when we find the right company that has the right fit for us, we will certainly make aggressive offers to it.
0: And there's two questions about the share buybacks. Will management consider upping the authorized share buyback? Um, If the shares are way below their intrinsic value, surely a substantial buyback is the most logical increase or a value.
3: So we continuously assess our share buyback program. We recently increased it from a million to two million. And the the intent behind the program is simply to dilute our uh, employee equity um, program and is not really a means to return capital to shareholders. The vast majority of our shareholders have expressed a strong um, preference for dividends. But we continue to assess that and take everything into consideration on a regular basis.
0: How significant a driver is reduced labour for customers as compared to the much-quoted flat floor for screeds?
2: So, I mean, both are factors for sure. We would have to say the productivity requirements are uh, a prime factor. There is that increased labor shortage and the need for productive solutions to reduce reliance on labor, uh, and that's only going to get uh, to be become a bigger challenge for our customers in the years to come. At the same time, quality standards are are very high, and in some cases, they're increasing on particular types of projects. Best example of that is the high-rise structural market. The quality standards of those floors continue to rise, which obviously plays into our, our skyscreen solution and is, is helpful in, in that selling process. So there's there's no doubt that quality standards are, are going to continue to be tightly enforced and in some cases increase, and that will always help us. But right now, productivity and the labor shortage within construction uh, is, is a, a key, key driver for us.
0: And what levels of improved efficiency should we expect from the increased capacity in the Houston facility, with build times, inventory turns, etc.?
2: So, in terms of, sort of the the P and L impact of that, it, it's it's part of our overall intent to maintain gross margins that are in that 57, you know, percent range, plus or minus. You know, it's it's needed to um, allow us to create some of those efficiency gains. It's also allowing us to insource. Um, some of the activities related to currently handled by our supply chain, such as uh, painting. We have a paint booth and a, a, a sanding booth that also allows us to help finish some of the fabricated metal uh, parts. Um, that gives us more control uh, over the supply chain. And in addition, it allows us to flex up our capacity. You know, with the price increases we've had, that kind of gets us to about a $200 million you know size business to support um, and also gives us some benefits to engineering testing to test prototype machines inside the four walls in a controlled environment. So there's a variety of benefits, but it's it's not intended to have a specific uh, numeric in, impact on our gross margins.
0: Some holders, including myself, are forced to receive the dividend in US dollars despite the option only for the broker to charge FX fee to exchange into pounds sterling. This is a material cost. If your shareholder base is largely UK based, would you consider making pounds sterling a default option to stop brokers charging needless fees?
2: It, it, so, uh, unfortunately, we really don't have control over broker decisions in terms of how to, you know, sort of process uh, the dividend payments. You know, we're always looking for ways to make it easier for our shareholders. Um, and we work with uh, Computer Share, who helps us with this process. But the, un- the unfortunate reality is brokers handle these, these transactions differently from broker to broker. And we really have no uh, ability to control how that happens.
0: And that's the end of questions. Jack, do you have any closing remarks?
1: Yes, I'd I'd like to thank you all very much for taking the time. These were a lot of excellent questions, and we appreciate all of the questions, and we hope that you find that the answers are suitable for you. And we're really looking forward to a great second half of the year and uh, continue good sales going forward in the future. And with that, we look forward to talking to you again.